Welcome to the Geek to Geek podcast, where this week we get retro. I'm Void, and I'm here with my co-host, Beej. Nice. Today we're talking about eh? Eh? retro gaming. We're not going to go super deep, but we kind of wanted to talk about like surface level, like our personal feelings towards retro gaming and like what we're drawn to and what we think hasn't held up very well over the years and kind of things along that line. So we thought we'd kick it off with our first gaming memory. And this was your idea, so I'll let you go first. Well, what I remember the very first is I was a very young kid. I was two years old when the Nintendo Entertainment System came out. When that first NES came out, I wanted it so bad. I was, I, I at, even at two, I wanted it that badly. And so I was poor. I couldn't do it. And so my parents had my cousin give me his Atari 2600 that he didn't use anymore. So I had that, that I had a shoebox full of games and I played it to death and Adventure was my favorite one. So sitting in front of a 13 inch black and white TV whenever with a suitcase or a shoebox full of games is my very first earliest gaming memory. Oh, that's cool. For mine, it was when I was like two years old. Yeah, yeah for mine, it was uh, playing Super Mario Brothers at daycare like they had an NES set up at daycare and, you know, like we yeah. do all the normal kids stuff. But then one of the things that we did like once or twice a day was, hey, if you want to go play video games for a while, because it was one of those like daycares where it was in somebody's home and her kids were roughly our same age. So, you know, we're playing with her kids and like all of us are playing the yep. NES together. So like I have distinct memories of levels from like the very first Super Mario Brothers game um, and playing different worlds. So that's like, you know, sitting on the ground in like kind of a, a cooler basement in the summer playing Mario on like an older TV. That's that's my first gaming memory. That's awesome. I actually have a memory when I think of uh, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. That's exactly what I think of was my daycare in somebody's house watching it and watching somebody get their heart ripped out. I remember <laughs> that more than any other viewing I've ever had of it. So I totally understand just how that in daycare is is completely just formative in how we process and remember this stuff. Oh, yeah, totally. Um, and, okay, so, like, that's the earliest. But let's talk about, like, more, like, while we were growing up, which are now, like, kind of retro games, because we're old enough now. They're not... I know, and that makes me so sad. I mean, they're not, like, super retro games, but they're moving into that space. I mean, you know, especially with, like, the NES Classic that came out last year from yeah. Nintendo, and now, like, the SNES Classic coming out this year, like, those are all retro. So, um all of those type of games and i would when we get the nintendo 64 classic next year i'm just going to weep staring at the ceiling for hours <laughs> we might i don't know uh we'll see if they keep going with that I, eventually they have to say hey like you know it's these aren't classic anymore because it's like too it, recent yeah. but i think the n64 still makes the cut for being on like the classic side you know i think it would because otherwise it's going to be like the gamecube stuff on the switch virtual console whenever it comes out see i would suspect that they would probably go in a different direction um they might do n64 but i don't think they would go to gamecube i think they would rather go back yeah. and do like a Game Boy classic because oh, think about awesome. like if they picked the right type of Game Boy model like whether it's 
it's an advanced SP or an advanced, or if they just go with like the big classic brick of a Game Boy, that's yeah. probably a little too big for modern sensibilities. But something like the Game Boy Color might be a good middle ground. Like, you know how much technology we can cram into that space these days. Uh-huh. And they can manufacture those things for like nothing. So that would be awesome. I hadn't even thought about a Game Boy Classic. Like, think about all of the Pokemon games you could put on it just alone. <laughs> I mean, there's other games too. Like Tetris should go on that, right? But if you put Tetris and Pokemon on a Game Boy Classic, like that thing's gonna sell out. It doesn't matter. Oh yeah, absolutely. It doesn't matter what else you put on there. If you even put anything else, if you just had a Pokemon Game Boy with all the editions of Pokemon on it up to this point, completely sold out. Yeah, that would be forever. Cool. So let's talk about a little bit about like uh, memories of growing up with games which are now retro (laughs) um for me i guess you know outside of that memory of the nes um i have a couple memories of like the super nintendo days where like i remember when we got that for christmas that was like um yes you know i feel like a lot of people our age have like that one christmas they remember because they were just like floored by a system and you know i i think my mom tells me that like I was floored by the NES or the the N64 when it came out and I was really surprised and I believe it but it's like I don't have a clear memory of that. I have a very distinct memory of playing the Super Nintendo for Christmas like on Christmas Day um and my grandparents were in town and like they had been sleeping on a fold out bed so we hooked it up by the TV that was near the fold out bed and I remember like sitting on that playing super mario world for the first time wow so like that's that's a very distinct you know it's not a big memory but like i i remember all of the things around it and that that sticks out to me and i remember that same kind of thing seeing the nintendo or the super nintendo for the very first time it was at a flea market here in florence where i live now we were we had taken a weekend trip and somebody at the flea market had brought a small tv uh one of the kids had brought a small tv and the new nintendo a super nintendo and was playing mario super mario world and it was on one of the lava levels with the four skulls that moved along and he had yoshi jumping up and down and i was just floored by the uh, graphics and that's all i remember but it was like you where it's not a big memory or major but i I still remember being just completely enamored by it yeah i guess another distinct memory i have is the n64 kiosks that were set up in like target you know and Ah, i know they were set up in all sorts of other stores but you know i i'm from minnesota target's a minnesota company like that's that's the place where we went um and that's where i still go for a lot of things but i remember like the mario 64 kiosk for a long time and then i remember the the star fox 64 kiosk yeah with like the rumble pack and stuff and yeah just being blown away by both of those at the time those were super cool were there lines at those like there was at the local walmart we didn't have a target in my town so it was walmart all the way and i remember when the 64 came out i was probably 12 or 13 i can't remember the exact year i think it was 97 so i think i was 14 and uh or maybe it was 96 regardless uh i remember us just lining up in walmart to play both of those games to play star fox 64 and mario 64 whenever we were in there there were just like five six seven people deep waiting their turn i don't remember that i I just remember like always wanting to play them and keep going back to them and just being amazed at this like analog stick world with like 3d graphics and 
Yeah. No, I don't know. I don't know about the line thing, but I definitely remember the kiosks like a lot. Yep. Um, and then I guess I have a lot of kind of more fuzzy memories, but a lot of good memories around local multiplayer on the N64. So like oh, yeah. days of playing Goldeneye with my friends and, <laughs> yes. and like Mario Kart 64, like we played that game to death. And honestly, like one of the more distinct ones that I'm remembering is Conker's Bad Fur Day which really yeah it i mean i played through the game like once and i thought it was funny at the time even though i tried to go back to it as an adult and it's the the humor is a little too crude and like not sophisticated enough and i i see why i liked it at the time but i also see why <laughs> it's not really for yeah. me anymore um but regardless of that i have like a lot of memories of playing the multiplayer of it which i've never heard anybody else talk about and and i don't remember the multiplayer at so there is this mode and i don't know if there was more than one there probably was the one that sticks out in my mind was um have you played the game yeah i played the single player okay. but I, I i don't even remember there being a multiplayer do you remember the whole like uh world war ii sequence in it where it's teddies versus squirrels uh not okay, really so no it's a thing it's what i just said the teddies are basically okay. uh, like the germans and the squirrels are like uh the allied forces coming in on d-day and there's a whole mode around teddies versus squirrels where you are trying to like storm the beach and your friends are trying to like kill you basically and wow. i don't know why but we spent a ton of time playing that mode and it's n64 it's local play so people can screen watch so oh yeah absolutely it's one of those that's like super meta levels of playing against each other like faking out your friends in weird ways because you know they're screen watching um yep yeah and then they claim that they're not yeah, but they and were. then you get into yeah yeah of course because you are too but you're not gonna admit it yeah and, uh, totally but i know you must have n64 memories oh yeah absolutely my and mine weirdly enough i mean i had the mario kart memories like you do of getting bunches of my friends together and playing GoldenEye. we would set it on uh the man with the golden gun where it only took one shot to kill anybody and then we would also put it on slappers only where you couldn't do anything but punch each other and slap each other and that was super fun we would play all of the uh mario kart balloon battles and stuff like that far more than we played any of the races and i remember my friend alex being on the bed at my friend Luke's house and he was ahead of me and I was sitting a little bit lower than him in like a folding chair or a kitchen chair or something just so we would have enough seats and I just remember screaming kidney punch and then punching him in the kidney <laughs> and to take over the uh the the race like that stuff that you can't do to somebody who's online you can't literally punch the person in front of you in Mario Kart in the kidney in order to win it's like that was the the original blue shell and uh was kidney punch and like my dad would play wave race with me that he would come into my bedroom when i was when i first got it and we would just race back and forth like on the original wave race and it was so much fun doing that and he loved it and my mom would come in and play killer instinct with me on the super nintendo before that that uh she would just come in and i know that she, i remember she liked playing saber wolf and 
it was just it was just super fun because my parents were the kind of folks who would get involved in it. They wouldn't just let me sit alone in my room playing these things. But uh, when Killer Instinct Two came out on the Nintendo sixty four, it was the same thing with my mom. She she was going to be in there and uh, playing it with me, just like my dad did with Wave Race. That's cool. That's awesome. Yeah, I I'm. <laughs> I wish there was more local co-op now because I like playing games yeah. with my kids, but a lot of the stuff we do is like taking turns and, you know, okay. being there to observe yeah. the other people or like offer suggestions and stuff, but it's less all playing at the same time unless it's, I don't know, some of it is like more competitive and I wish there was more co-op. I don't know. I'll, I'll give Nintendo some time with the Switch. I have high hopes for it. And there are games that we yeah. play together, but like uh, maybe it's just because I'm an adult, right? Like the memories aren't as distinct because I play tons of games all the time. Like I hope that in True. 10 years, my kids are going to remember some of the stuff we've done already in gaming, which would be fun to do. And I'm sure that they will, because just think about you and me right now sitting here and remembering things from when we're, goodness gracious, I remember things from when I was two doing this. I remember waking up the next day uh, after my parents were playing Duck Hunt and them updating the high scores that they had on the uh, on the refrigerator that they kept written down. These are the kind of things that if it's a part of your life and the household culture, that of course they're going to remember it because it means something to them. Yeah, and I'm sure, like, now that you mention it, I mean, thinking about that Super Mario memory that's, like, my very first gaming memory, that was before I was ever in school. So I must have been, like, three or four-ish. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, my kids are past that now. They, they've they got to have some lasting memories in there. So it'll be interesting to see. But I guess, like, a little bit beyond those, like, N64 days for me, um, <laughs> I, I was thinking a lot about this when you brought up the topic, but, like, just the early well uh, i was thinking about everquest and i was thinking about starcraft and they were right around the same time and i i played those uh. games to death like that was what i did every day after school in like late middle school into i feel like we were probably easing out of it by the time we got to high school but like probably like seventh eighth grade um that was like what me and my friends did every night but it was it wasn't just EverQuest and StarCraft. It was like those early days of the internet where yeah. the fact that you were playing with other people online was like, that was the killer feature. Like, that was the thing, you know? And it it tied into, like, AIM and, like, you know, AOL Instant Messenger and AIM Culture uh -huh. and, like, all of that kind of crossbred with my early memories of, like, EverQuest and StarCraft and 56K modems and kicking people off phone lines and, like, all of that kind of and stuff. And the phone calls coming through. Like, I got knocked off the phone so many times. Knocked offline on Ultima Online because somebody called the line right in the middle of me trying to PK somebody. And, like, it was crazy. Yeah, you would. Like, yeah, of course I would. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, I got lucky because my dad's a techie. So we had two phone lines. Yep. One was dedicated Same to here. the internet, which was wonderful yes. as a kid same here that was the best thing when my dad because my dad was a techie too he was like we can't keep doing this and then the problem was that i would but we had it connected in my room so i also had a phone on that line so even with the second line i would have my friend or my girlfriend or somebody would call me on that line i'm like no i'm playing ultima and uh like nerd rage on them yeah, that second phone line Which was like bad. a safely guarded secret in my house. We used that for the internet and didn't tell other people that it even existed. <laughs> okay, that's 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 fair. Good idea. Yeah, yeah. So early days of internet. Um, 
I I don't know. It kind of brings you back to the time and the place. But I mean, that's you know, that's the feeling of like end of middle school, mm-hmm. beginning of high school for everyone. There's there's some memories that kind of get locked in there. And for me, a lot of it is tied up with that. And I can't remember like you you mentioning local multiplayer made me think of Wolfenstein 3D. Oh where yeah. Actual multiplayer was just LAN. I mean, it was a PC game. It was shareware what I played where it wasn't even we never even bought the full game of it. But local multiplayer in order for me and my friend to play together, we found a cheat code. We knew a cheat code that if you pressed M I and L at the same time, M I L, it would heal you back to 100% and refill your uh, ammunition, I think it was ammo too, and give you all the weapons in the game. So what we would do is get to the bosses and get to the hard stuff, and one of us would be playing, and then we would just scream at the other one, M-I-L me! And they would press the buttons and basically heal us, where we were always like one of the other's pocket healer going along, uh, trying to heal the other. And on bosses, it was basically, M-I-L me! M-I-L me! M-I-L me! M-I-L me! And uh, that was that was the only way that we could play that game together that we both really liked. Nice. Yeah, I hadn't even thought about lands. That's a good point. Like, I did a ton of yeah. That in high school, like, and I didn't do any land stuff. I, none of my none of my friends were, except for just a couple late on, late were internet people, like computer gaming people. So they were all consoles. We never did any kind of land stuff at all. Yeah, I mean, we had nights where you know there would be eight of us in a basement. We all brought our PCs over, and we would be playing like Counter Strike, Strike, like you know the classic Counter Strike mm-hmm. one point six, and like. Um, Uh, just entire nights devoted to warcraft 3 and frozen throne and like all of the mods that you can play like just knights playing tower defense together in like a mod in warcraft 3 so like those were really fun too and i guess uh, you know a lot of that is just memories around being like social in middle school and high school and like that's the way that you know we are an interesting generation because we grew up alongside technology right people like five years ahead of us or five years behind us had very different experiences when it comes to technology but like we grew up alongside the internet and right at that formulative time like you know middle school high school ish time so my feelings are all tied up with like that time and place in a really interesting way. And I mean, that idea, I'm going to tangent just a little bit. I don't think I've talked about on the podcast where because we grew up with it, we are the ones who truly understand it, I think, as opposed to those people who are five years ahead and five years behind, where because it was we were at that same level of maturation as the internet and this technology. We understood, we understand how to use it and why we're using it that way. And I've noticed from both directions in my teaching and everything like that, that they, that so many people don't care why it does what it does. It just cares. Oh yeah, it does this. They don't care how or the process behind it. They're just like, Oh yeah, this is how the internet works. And I'm like, no, that's not just how the internet works. Excuse me. Let me give you a lesson on TCPIP, and it's it's that kind of thing where our generation was perfectly set to learn that to see how that happened where we're not just necessarily digital natives i don't want to say that where because it hasn't just been around but it's also so ingrained in what we do like video gaming is second nature to you and me watching my seven-year-old nephew kind of bang at a ps3 controller is just so frustrating because i'm like how do you not know that there's a second stick on this and i'm (laughs) like there hasn't but for me 
it's that something I had to learn to deal with as a thing. It's just kind of there that they can take for granted. Yeah, it's it's interesting because like my kids are digital natives, but in a yeah. very different way. And like you and I, when we were in like elementary school, we did stuff the analog way. And then yeah. as things got digital, we progressed with it, like you were saying. And one of the examples I want to th- like that I always think about and just so I don't reiterate all your points, but yeah. um, cell phones, like when when I was starting middle school, cell phones were like the Nokia bricks, right? Like the, uh, the indestructible huh? ones that everybody knows, they still exist. And you could literally only call someone. Um, mm-hmm. And then when I started high school and I got my first cell phone, um, texting just came about. Like texting was brand new. Oh, wow. It did not exist before like my freshman year, essentially. And that was college and, for me. Yeah. I never texted anybody until I think either my fresh. Yeah, I can't remember if it was my late freshman year or sophomore year before I had a phone that was capable of texting someone. So, yeah. So in like Nokia, you know, brick phones that just called for me in middle school. And then early high school, it was phones that just barely texted. And then by the end of high school, it was feature phones, which are basically like, you know, they had a couple built-in apps that were always really bad, but then you could take take pictures, and that was the big thing. And now if you look back, I'm sure the resolution was horrible on them. And then by the time I was done with college, like, that's when, like, smartphones became a thing, like, right near the end of college. So I have very clear delineations between, like, each of my last sets of schooling for how cell phones evolved alongside me. And it was just, it's amazing to think about, right? Because my kids are never going to go back in technology. Like, they are always going to be in a world of iPads and iPhones and Android phones and tablets and all of that kind of stuff. And, like, they'll pick up a bunch of the computer skills, that we have because you know once you get more into the working world and once you have to like write papers for school right. and do research like you pick up computer skills i'm not worried about that but there's like there's context there that i have because of when i grew up that they're never gonna have in the same way yeah and it's really interesting for me to think about gaming in that way too because it's the way that like kids will start interacting with touchscreens that I still don't necessarily like touchscreens in games that when the DS came out, I was like, this is stupid and I don't want it. And I'm still kind of like, this is stupid. I don't want it. I would just rather have a controller for the most part. And Um, I mean, sometimes when it's designed for it, I completely get it. We've had this discussion before, but right. just seeing my nephew. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I understand when it's designed for it, that that if it's a if it's integrated well, kind of like motion controls, if it's done well, sure. But it's uh, but it's so rarely done well in my mind that when but my little nephews will just grab a touchscreen on a tablet or a phone and they put me to shame on just it being natural for them to do it where I'm, I'm still, I'm the one fumbling trying to figure out what to do with it. Oh no, you're an old man now. <laughs> I am. I became an old man. Somehow I, I missed it when I, when I crossed that threshold into being just an old crotchety man. Uh, okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so the, uh, the last thing that I wanted to bring up for like my gaming memories that are, that you could still consider retro that aren't, closer to the newer side is just like single player rpgs that have stuck with me for a long time and I, I don't really have many memories of like sitting down and playing them and remembering the room and the space but i feel like a lot of the games from like the playstation era the playstation 2 era and like the original xbox yes. have really stayed with me so that like 
the the Final Fantasies that are like the Golden Age Final Fantasies in my mind, and I'm sure that's just because of the age I was at the time. Um, but you know, like seven, yeah. eight, nine, basically, and, and well, and ten for that matter. Like all of the PlayStation and PlayStation Two ones, and like I remember original Xbox. I remember playing like Knights of the Old Republic and just being oh my amazed God, by yeah. it, and like Jade Empire and. I remember all those games, but the memories aren't as vivid as like the earlier ones where I remember the people and the place and like all of the mm-hmm. sense memory about it. It's more just remembering the games and the stories that have stuck with me. And I don't know, they they haven't necessarily aged well, but I remember them well. Yeah, and I'm I'm the exact same way when it comes to the to that generation of games that it is the it is the PlayStation, Xbox 360, uh PS PS2 that is perfect for me that those are the ones that that specifically with rpgs that i have i don't remember specifics about the games most of the time but i remember i can think about it and i'll remember music i was listening to when i was in a certain scene or or i'll remember where where i played it whether it was in my dorm room or my house in college or a friend's place i remember that kind of thing and it's generally only with RPGs that I don't remember it without. I mean, and I played mostly RPGs. I mean, that may be what it is. That was that's what I played. But so many of those have an emotional feel to them as opposed to anything specific, any kind of specific memories. Well, you had talked in the past on another episode about like remembering buying Final Fantasy seven, yeah. right? Oh yeah, and I, I, where my mom, we called around at every toy store the day that it came out, and we finally found it in a town about forty five minutes away. And she drove me and Luke right up there to get it at KB Toys in Columbia, Tennessee, in the mall. I mean, I will never forget going in there, and also being sad that I didn't pre order it so I could get one of those cool T shirts. I wanted one of those so bad, but uh, man, I wish I had that now. Um, but but it was one of the things where yeah. I remember buying it. I remember playing it as well, but mostly I remember buying it. That's interesting. Yeah. I'm I don't know if I have any buying memories. Uh, maybe maybe like um getting the GameCube on release day. Mm. I, I feel like my dad, my brother and I hunted that one down and like waited in parking lots in the oh, cold wow. probably. So it was probably like October, November, early morning, uh Minnesota, cold, cold air, but not quite snow on the ground yet. Yeah. Um and we might have done the same thing for the PSP, if if I'm remembering right. I did that for Dreamcast. Okay, I interesting. Skipped, I skipped school to buy Killer Instinct. I remember on the Super Nintendo when it first came out, I skipped school. My mom got me out of school at lunchtime to take me again to KB Toys in Columbia, Tennessee to buy Killer Instinct that she signed me out of school. Like Having a parent who was all in and understood this is what I did was absolutely fantastic. She let me call in, uh, stay home from school one day because there was an iDoc in Ultima Online and uh, an in danger of collapsing house that she let me sit and camp a house that was falling. Like I said before, I sold stuff on eBay for money, and uh, she let me stay home from school just to be able to camp a house and place it. Nice. That, uh, That's cool. Those These are... These are cool memories for me because my mom wasn't the the kind of woman who would ever ever think that this is in any way detrimental to my to my progression as a human being. It's interesting now as a parent to see how much my kids learn because they play video games and like you know you always think your kids are like the smartest and the greatest and everything but I just you know I don't try to compare them to other kids or like 
talk them up a ton but it's more of like seeing where they're supposed to be at for the grade level and then seeing where they're actually at and right teachers coming and asking me at conferences like hey why are they such good readers like why are they good at pattern recognition there's a couple other things um and i'm like oh it's because they play video games and then i get kind of like a snicker and then i'm like no seriously like 100 yeah. percent. i'm not kidding that's that's why they're good at this set of things that you've specifically called to my attention yeah like it touches on all those things so i mean i don't i don't think they're detrimental at all but again i'm very biased because i love gaming <laughs> yeah um, i mean that, that that and that's our background as well so i've always said that one of the reasons driving was so instinctual for me is because i played racing games on these consoles because my dad would come in and sit down on the ps1 uh, i was 14 and ridge racer the very first Ridge Racer, and he and I would swerve around a little bit, and he was like, "You keep this car steady by looking at the horizon, son." And I'm like, "What?" And he taught me how to drive playing Ridge Racer on in on the PlayStation, and gave me those kind of tips. I mean, they are transferable, and if you're and if your kids' teachers say that they're not, you take them out of school and just. Oh, do it yourself yeah don't do Not that kidding, but no no don't do that um, don't, okay. don't do that at all before we wrap up though on this topic i want to talk a little bit about like games that kind of hold up and games that kind of don't hold up because honestly i feel like a lot of retro games don't hold up and i i learned this harsh lesson when i went back earlier this year and tried to play through well it was last year now but when i tried to play through the zelda <laughs> yeah. series and now i have less respect for it as a series which is not at all what i intended and i'm so sorry for pushing you into that again where i was like yeah do zelda i want to live vicariously and then the same thing happened to me where when i hear what you said about i was like i don't want to go back and play that either yeah and yeah But, but like there's a narrow band of retro games that i will go back and seek out that i still enjoy and everything else is kind of like i've just decided that it's better to leave it in my memories you know, they really are. That's why I don't go back and play a lot of old retro games. That's one of the reasons I'm not big in the retro scene is because I know that I have terrible taste in things. I know that I'm aware of it. I, it may have been the first or second episode of this podcast that we did when you found out how much I absolutely adore Fast and the Furious movies that that they are like I don't have good taste in anything but and I'm aware that when I was young a lot of my gaming tastes were not out of the quality of the games but the quantity of time I spent playing those games out of necessity like we've said we've rented them and like you're stuck with them for the weekend or you just happen to pick it up for a week and it's like well guess I'm playing Kid Chameleon for a week that kind of thing where I did not play good games a lot, and so I just kind of don't go back that much. Yeah, and I think that's that's totally valid. But there are some games that hold up. Like, I think that um, some of the Zelda games really hold up, especially after the playthrough. Like, I'm thinking about Link to the Past, but there are other ones, too, in there. Um, some of the Mega Man X series, I will still go back and seek out. There are some entries in the Mega Man X series that are not good, but there are some that are excellent, especially I love the, the first, first game. The first one's... Like yeah, the first game first one is just such a good game. Yes, 
And I've never been a fan of the Mega Man series that's not the X games. Like, that's... I, I don't know. It was just a little bit before my time, or I just never played it at the time, and I have, like, no nostalgia for it, and I hate the way those games control. So, <laughs> Dude, Mega Man 2. I don't, I don't know. Mega Man 2 is one that I have really good memories of, specifically for Woodman, because I loved having a shield of leaves that I could just cut people with. And I'm not sure why, but I loved it. Uh... Okay. Yeah, I didn't. Yeah, I didn't have I that experience just, at the mm. time. So like the old Mega Man series isn't my thing, but I love the Mega Man X series um, for certain parts. Uh, basically, every Mario game out there, I have fond yeah. memories of. Uh, m- like the core of it is the Mario platformers for sure, but also a ton of the crazy Mario spinoffs, whether they're sports games or like painting like mario paint or um, mario paint was so good i know or like the one where is it called luigi is missing the one where you have to like find luigi by knowing history facts yeah i think it is luigi's missing because it's not where is luigi so yeah i think it is luigi's missing it's something like that um and then like the whole final fantasy series uh going back gave me a huge appreciation for the context of that and when i played through everyone in chronological order so i love that series and then kind of an extension of final fantasy is chrono trigger which i hadn't played until the last couple years here i basically did it ever no i never played it as a kid i I played it i completely forgot this and we did a whole episode on jrpgs last year and i've completely like that has completely dropped out of my memory that chrono trigger was a new game for you yeah it was a new game for me i didn't play it until uh ios version and i I played it basically after i had done my final fantasy series playthrough and i was still in the mode for that type of game um and so i had heard about chrono trigger forever from people that i trusted so i finally went back and played it and that is an excellent game like it's a really really good game and in general just a couple observations like a lot of nintendo stuff holds up really well and a lot of jrpgs seem to like hold up better than other genres maybe it's because they're so like gameplay like yeah the gameplay and the story kind of lends itself to that whereas other genres have maybe evolved more yeah where they're still the same core at what they do now as they did in 1990 but the one thing that has changed significantly is the quality of sentence level writing. That if you go back to some of the early Final Fantasies and you like read like, even Final Fantasy 4 on the Super Nintendo or Final Fantasy, yeah, it's Final Fantasy 4. Um, individual pieces of dialogue are awkwardly written because of translation limitations and that a lot of the new remakes remasters have fixed that that i know that the final fantasy 5 on ios is translated way better than the one on than the one on ps1 and anthology and the same for uh Seven is kind of awkward when you read some of the stuff in it. Nine is actually weirdly phrased at times where the writing has gotten better. Not necessarily the story and the storytelling, but the individual back and forth between characters doesn't feel as forced anymore. Yeah. No, I mean, I've noticed that too. Uh, Luckily, I didn't play most of the old Final Fantasy games until I played them on iOS when I did that playthrough. So I didn't have to deal with it, but I know exactly what you're talking about because I've looked into it out of curiosity before. But yeah, any any last thoughts on retro gaming, like our personal version of retro gaming? I mean, the the one thing that I thought was funny that whenever that that whenever I looked at our notes and I was going to put in and I saw the the bullet of, you know, which ones hold up, my first thought was Chrono Trigger. That it may be the single 
best holding up game. I don't even know if that's the right phrase for it. It may be the game that has held up the best of any of them I've ever played because it doesn't feel dated at all. That there is that it would be just as good if it came out today. If instead of Cosmic Star Heroin coming out earlier this year, that it was Chrono Trigger, I would have been I would understand it be like this is a fantastic game. Good for you, Squaresoft, uh, because it was Squaresoft at that point, and uh, that 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 holds up. I mean, we talked about games that that held up. The ones that didn't for me. Have you ever gone back and played any of the old Sega games? Like I know they're re-releasing them on iOS slowly right now. Yeah. But have you gone back? We we've talked about a lot of the Nintendo games really holding up, but. A lot of the Sega ones didn't. Like, it's hard to play Sonic right now. Sonic the Hedgehog 1 through 3 are kind of hard to play at times. And like like I mentioned, Kid Chameleon, Altered Beast, Shining Force, and Fantasy Star. These are pretty hard not to, to go back and play, and they don't really hold up as well as I remember them being fantastic. Well, there's a reason that Nintendo can get away with selling like individual old Mario games on Virtual Console, and Sega has to release all their games as collections. And I think you nailed it pretty much. Yeah, that's that's a really good point. I hadn't even noticed that, but I was on Steam messing around the other day, and I did see that I had a uh, like a Master System pack that I had that had Shining Force one and two and Altered Beast and a few of those, and Eternal Champions. Like my buddy bought a. Here, here is here is exactly the way that that sega holds up to nintendo the nintendo the nes classic caused a an international and at least a national in america a national nerd crisis for people not being able to find it and was selling it for five hundred dollars a a a a console my friend went to a yard sale and bought a sega an official sega uh, the the official Sega thing, I don't even know, the, the same one that's the Nintendo Classic, but as a Genesis, for a quarter. And that pretty much sums up retro Sega versus retro Nintendo in my mind. Yep, there's a big difference. Cool, well, I'm glad that we could talk about retro gaming in our own way, because we don't go back to it very often, but... In talking through this, we should probably, and I think we've mentioned it before, we should probably eventually do a Chrono Trigger episode where we dive deep <laughs> yeah. and like play it together at the same time and get the community in on it because that could be fun. Because that, yeah, if anything, that game may be, may be the one to do it with. We can talk about that in the future for sure. Okay, let's dive into the geeky offer of the week. Uh, this week we have Audible, like we do most of the time lately. You can go to audibletrial.com slash geek2geekcast and get a free book on us, and it helps the podcast. My book recommendation for the week is All These Worlds, which is the Bobaverse book number three. I'm in the middle of it right now, so I don't have a full review, but I talked about um, the first book when I was reading it. It's called We Are Bob. It's about that probe that goes out, and it's a guy's consciousness oh, yeah. that got transferred. Yeah, so it's somebody from our modern times put into the future and like his brain has been turned into a machine so he's in control of machines um this is book three and i purposefully didn't recommend the first book on audible because like the audiobook quality honestly wasn't that great but it has gotten better with every one and book three is pretty good like i, I like it wow, I've that's been, rare i know it is it's weird to see the quality change that much but if you have read the first couple that I already recommended and you're thinking about getting um, book number three, which is called All These Worlds, I, I recommend checking out the audiobook version because I'm actually liking it this time. And I returned the other two <laughs> for number one and two, Ooh. but number three is good. Um, 
So yeah, it, wow. you can get that or any other audiobook for free if you do audibletrial.com slash geek2geekcast. And with that, it's time for our Week of Geekery, where we share what we've been geeking out about this week. What do you have? I actually played Assassin's Creed for the very first time. Oh, good. What do you think? I went, I went back and I installed Uplay, which... It's not great, but people made it out to be a way worse service than it actually is. It's just a launcher, and I had no problems with it. So I installed them from the Humble Bundle that I'd bought, and I started with Assassin's Creed 2 at your behest. That was the one you said to play. And I heard from people on Twitter every which way, and but the consensus was that Assassin's Creed 2 is the best one. Like Some people said it's the best one of any of the games, too. So I went and I started with 2. And I really like it. I totally understand now. I know I texted you this. I totally understand why you climbed on everything in Breath of the Wild. Oh, yeah. That it makes complete sense now where I'm like, yeah, I can climb up this wall, but yeah, that's fine. I can do that. I'll do it, I guess. And you're like, climb on everything. I really get it. That this game is... is I'm already like, why am I walking on the street? This is terrible. I want to jump off of that smokestack over there and see what happens. Oh, yeah. Climbing and everything is fun in Assassin's everything Creed. Is. I'm glad you started with two. Um, I don't think it is the best game in the series, but I do think it is one of the best places to start if you're trying to get okay. into it. What do you think the best game in the series is? Um, usually whatever the latest one that's released, just because they iterate and like it gets better over time. Like if, if you... I, I get the sense that you're going for a greater context in the series, and it might be something that you want to get into, which is why I said you yeah. should start with two. Um, if you just wanted to get a feel for Assassin's Creed and see the latest and greatest, I would have recommended Syndicate for you. Okay. But two has a, a good story to it, and it's one of the only uh, games that has like a multi a multi game yeah. story arc. Um, and it's it's fairly self-contained in two, but then they decided to do Brotherhood, which is a continuation, and then they did Revelations, which is another continuation, all with the same main character over his life. Um, and that's really interesting. There are other good standalones, like Black Flag is really good. Um, there are interesting entries that aren't necessarily the best, but they're really... Uh, uh, they're just fascinating, the way they approached making the game, because it's different. It's different. So, like, Assassin's Creed 3 is what I'm thinking about. Okay. There are definite problems with it, but it's also really cool in ways that, like, some of the other games never really got back to. So, there are things with every game that I could recommend or steer you away from. There's no, like, perfect Assassin's Creed, but those would be my two recommendations. If you're if you're really trying to maybe get a context for the series and you think you want to get into it long-term, start with Assassin's Creed 2. If you just want to dip your toe in and see the latest and greatest and like figure out like is this even for me remotely um syndicate is a pretty good place to jump in i'm really really thinking that this is going to be a long-term thing for me a because you are obsessed with it and that makes me really understand that there's something to these games where they're not just generic uh generic action games kind of like i thought they were where it does feel a lot more than that which i'm i'm very happy about and i'm going to play assassin's creed 3 because i have one of the dlc packs that was included in it and i'm gonna play it because of hamilton because it's the american one it's set in revolutionary america or at i think maybe pre-revolutionary Revolution America at the very beginning, right? Am I right with no, that? No, it's, it's Revolutionary the... War. You're right. 
Okay, it is Revolutionary War, where the the um where I have the DLC, the tyranny of King Washington. Yep. And I'm like, but I've listened to Hamilton so many times. I love George Washington. What did you do to him? And I'm gonna have to see what they've done with this story, not from an American history standpoint, but from a Hamiltonian standpoint. <laughs> that I just want to know what they did. And I'm gonna play it next. Um actually I can't say I'm gonna play it next because I am looking at getting a PS4. Uh because work has gotten a lot more stable lately and uh that that money may not be as much of an issue soon so i'm uh looking at a ps4 and probably going to get uh origins for that cool instead of the pc that'd be good and if i don't get a ps4 i'll get it on pc and play it because at right now if they're they're as iterative as you say then origins having one of my favorite settings ever and better than assassin's creed 2 i'm like yeah i can i'll be able to spend some time in this game cool i want to hear more about it as you play through the series or as you sample Absolutely. it at the very least and uh after that you know i've i've finished the first first book in the second Mistborn trilogy and i okay. restarted the second one the i can't even remember the name of it. is this shadows of self i think or maybe it's the bands of mourning whatever the second one is i can never remember it's so much better than i remember it being having read the first one i literally remembered nothing about the first one and even though this one takes place about a year after the events of the first book it I didn't know anything at all. It was just gobbledygook to me. So I'm glad that I went back and have reread those because I'm truly loving getting into these books again. So I'm excited to see the rest of this trilogy. I think the first book in that second trilogy is the most forgettable book in the entire series. So I, I'm mm. pretty sure I was the same way when I dove into book two and then I just figured it out from context clues. But I also see why you would have bounced off that the first time around. And the main reason that I bounced off as hard as I did on the first time, I think is, yeah, it's been probably, it's been since whatever year and, and like I read it at release. And also I read before bed, so I was probably a little bit groggy and sleepy. And so my brain wasn't working right. So it uh, everything combined to make me not understand what was going on. So I did that. I'm really loving it and I'm excited to see them expand the mythology more than uh, more than was, you know, because I love that mythology. And then Overwatch. Have you played Overwatch since Doomfist came out? Uh, I tried Doomfist one day for a little bit. That that's about Have it. You? it. I mean, he was okay. he was all right. He is not a hero that I will play in a regular match at all. No. But did you play Doomfist Elimination? Uh, yes, that one was interesting. That is so much fun that until they take this away, I'm playing it a couple of times a day. Maybe I'll go in and go because they're quick. It is everybody. It is. A twelve people going in as Doomfist, punching each other to death and off cliffs in a small arena. It is just it's just fun to me and I love it. And I got in with one of my old students. He was uh, doing an internship, a medical internship in Spain, and I think he's home now. And he logged on and was like, "Hey, you want to do a quick play?" And I was like, "Sure." And uh, we got in, and I didn't have voice chat on. I didn't have my mic on my computer, and so I picked up Doomfist, of course. And this is in normal quick play mode, and just start sending him private messages of doom fist and he knew oh god bj's not gonna let us win this is he and uh so i i doom fisted that entire match and it was it was so funny 
because he was like, oh God, BJ, play something else. I'm like, dude, and my own, I would only respond with the word Doomfist. So it was, that. that's that's what I do to former students of mine. But to be fair, I would have done it to Rob if he had been on too. So um, I did, there was a, a Humble Bundle this week that came out that I can't remember what else I bought, but it was $6 to get Mighty Number no. 9. And I bought it. And because I wanted to play it, I've been wanting to try it. I know you and everyone else said that it wasn't great. And that's exactly what it is. It's just not great. It's just not, it's not bad. It's not a bad game at all. It's put together well. It, it's fine. It just has zero personality. That game has nothing going for it. it, has nothing working against it. It is a solid meh. Yeah. And no, I'm just I like, still yeah, agree with that statement. It's. It's just, it's a game. Like, it's not... Yeah, it's a game. I don't know. I, I played it for... I think I bought it on Steam one day. I played 10 minutes of it, and then I returned it, because I was like, no, mm. I don't need that. Yeah, that's pretty much the way it is. I played through a couple of the levels, didn't even bother getting to a boss in either of them. I was just like, yep, this is what I expected it to be, and moved on. But yeah, I did that. I just wanted to play it. And then uh, Jennifer and I started season six of Game of Thrones again, that she hadn't seen it, that I went back and watched it after the season had ended last year. And so with all of the massive spoilers that everyone keeps tweeting all the time, that I am lucky that I haven't seen anything, because as soon as I see a Game of Thrones character, I just swipe up really fast. That, uh, But we've decided that she's in the mood to watch that again so we're gonna just watch it together instead of me waiting until like this week or next to start on season seven yes season seven the uh the spoiler gloves are pretty much off at this point like if you don't watch it the night it comes out you are so likely to get spoiled by the next morning it's crazy like people were good about this until i feel like this is the first year it's been this bad and yeah it's it's like it doesn't bug me because I watch it the night it comes out. Like my wife and I make space for that in our routine to watch Game of Thrones. Yeah. And the the episode that just came out, I'm, I'm not going to spoil anything, but um, episode four of season seven. If you're listening to this in the future, it had it was it was amazing. Like I immediately rewatched it, and I never do that. Like mm. if I do rewatch something, I'll wait until it's closer to the next week, and maybe like rewatch the night before. Or um, if we're really in a Game of Thrones mood, I might watch it like the same night before the new episode comes out. I have never once finished a Game of Thrones episode and immediately started it again. But I did this uh, week yeah. with season seven. I've heard such four. good things about this one. It is. It's it's really good. But it does feel like the gloves are off. Like spoilers are out there as soon as the episode's over. Yeah, and it annoys me because I'm not the kind of person who watches TV on a schedule. That even though it comes on at like 8 o'clock, I think, on Sunday nights, I'm just like, yeah, I'll watch that at some point this week. And to see everybody literally immediately and during it, uh, like somehow they have screen caps and GIFs immediately. And I'm like, how do you do this? Why don't you stop being a jerk, Internet? And it's like, well, thanks for that. Uh, But I haven't seen it. I don't know any specifics yet. I, I know one small tidbit that I don't think actually means anything. So, so, yeah. Um, I beat X Death finally, and I hate him. <laughs> finally, Final we've Fantasy both been Five. Playing, yeah, we both been playing Final Fantasy Five this week, 
and you've moved past where I am with it now. I since I sent you the text message last night with a screenshot of me finally having beat X Death, um, I, I just turned it off after that. But he beat me so many times, I was getting frustrated, and finally swapped my jobs around enough to be able to uh, to beat him because what my original I thought I needed to heal more, and apparently I didn't. I just needed to slap him over and over again. Yep. Yeah, at one point I tried four berserkers, and that was not a good idea. <laughs> no, that won't I just wanted work. to see. I just had to see what would have happened, and it did not. It turned out exactly as well as you thought it would. Yeah, I finally got back to Final Fantasy V this week um, for the four job fiesta. So in one night, I got the Earth Crystal done, um, picked up my last class, which is Dragoon. So my final party for this year for the four job fiesta is Monk, Time Mage ranger and dragoon and that same night i finished the first world and i beat the second world and then the next day i came back and i beat all of the merged world and as of recording this right now um i'm sitting like i'm about to enter the final dungeon which i think i'm gonna need to do some grinding based on my party once i get into like the later stage of the final dungeon there's a really good spot with lots of experience um I'll probably have to spend some time there. But besides that, like I'm on track to finish this game very soon. And I don't know. I'm liking it. I'm liking it a lot. It's a different feel than last year because my classes this year are a lot more like damage heavy with like physical attacks. Whereas last year I really had to rely on magic. And this is one of the things about the four job fiesta. Like it can go so many different ways. You know, I had never really had a good appreciation for the time mage before and a lot of what they're I they're super powerful. Yeah, a lot of what I do this year is uh, like haste my whole party, and then I use rapid fire with, which is a skill that you can pick up with a ranger um, that lets you attack multiple times in a turn. And because my monk is also barehanded and can attack twice, um, my monk is a super fast puncher that every time they attack, they attack eight times, which is really fun to see. <laughs> so it's yeah, I bet it's stuff like that. It's it's a lot of just like doing enough damage before I take too much damage because I don't have a whole lot of healing outside of regen, which isn't that good once you get to late game. Um, it's It's been fascinating this year, but... I like it because every year the four job fiesta kind of gives you a different flavor of the game and every combination is beatable in some way or another. Um, and I also have friends that have done this for many years. Um, I'm especially thinking about one particular person that's basically like all of our encyclopedia for final fantasy five knowledge. <laughs> that anytime anybody gets stuck, we reach out to him on Twitter or on Slack and we're like, I am here. This is my party. What do I do? And he has one, two, maybe three answers off the top of his head. Wow. That is a lot of knowledge of Final Fantasy V. Yeah. Because this game is is one of, if not the most complex Final Fantasy games in terms of system. In terms of systems, that, that, yeah, it, it probably is the most complex. Or, I mean, you can make it easy if you want to, but like the way true. that you play it with the 4-Job Fiesta makes it complex. Which, it's not bad, but... I think we'll probably do a Final Fantasy V episode because we're both getting near the end, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I've got just the third world to beat. I just got just beat X Death and uh, turned it off. Cool. Yeah, well, that will be coming up soon. And then the other Final Fantasy V thing that I did this week is I had bought, oh, I pre-ordered um, a book. That's, it's just called Final Fantasy V, but it's one of the boss fight books, which you've read some of those, mm-hmm. right? I love I've read the Earthbound one and okay. I need to read the Chrono Trigger one. I just haven't done it yet. 
I think I bought it. So I've read the Chrono Trigger one and one other that I'm forgetting off the top of my head. Spelunky. Spelunky and Chrono Trigger are the two okay, that I've read. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so I knew, so the guy who was writing this is Chris Kohler, and he's one of my favorite, like, video game journalists. Like, I, I don't really follow publications anymore when I follow my gaming news. Even though I have a couple of my RSS feed, I follow specific, like, journalists that I actually like in the gaming space because there's a lot that are just kind of whatever. Um, Chris Kohler's really good. And he has another book that I keep meaning to get to. But when I saw he was writing a Final Fantasy V book, I pre-ordered it. And then uh, a couple days ago on Twitter, I saw that they were saying, hey, this book's out soon. If there's anybody out there who creates content and you want early access to it let us know and i said hey i do a podcast i bought this book already i would gladly have a copy early and talk about it so i did that this week and it was a super quick read not in a bad way just like i sat down and i read it in one sitting and i really like it um it dives into a lot of the things behind like the creation of it Uh, a lot of it is based on like interviews around the game and some of it is about the game too i mean it, it does talk about like the playing through the game and the system, but it's a good mix of like interviews with the actual creators of final fantasy five. And then a bunch of Chris Kohler's experience with the game, because he was one of the first people to import it. And he made the first official fact for the game, the, you know, frequently asked questions. That's basically a walkthrough. Yeah. He like him. And then two other uh, online friends that he had translated the game and, like they made the first english walkthrough and they got ripped off by the people who came and they made the official like i can't remember if it was like prima or like one of the other whatever it was at the time when yeah final fantasy 5 actually released here in that collection was it brady games it might have been brady games it was one of them i don't remember but they took his guide and republished it without asking (laughs) as the official guide and uh, i don't know it's it's a very interesting story so anyway that was full disclosure i got early access to this but i also bought it anyway so whatever but the final fantasy 5 boss fight book by chris kohler is really good and i recommend it so yeah i can't wait to read it i was waiting to get through more of the game to read that one but if it's mostly behind the scenes i'll probably dig in on it soon then cool yeah, that, that one's good. And then I also read uh, the Battlefront 2 Inferno Squad book this week, mm. which I told you a little bit about this. It's the prequel yep. to the upcoming Battlefront game. Um, it's by Christy Golden, and I've read some of her stuff before. Uh, I was kind of expecting a more interesting story based on other things I've read of hers. But I think that she was working... Well, I mean, she almost always works in a shared universe. Like, she's written for, like, Warcraft and, like, Star Trek and other Star Wars books in the old uh, expanded universe. But it really feels like she must have been, like... She probably had the handcuffs on for this one. She was probably working in an extremely narrow space in the Star Wars universe. Probably. And within that space, you also have to lead into the game that's coming out here in a couple months. And the book... I don't know. The book suffers for it. Like... It was it's worth it to me because I always want all the context for Star Wars, but it's not a Star Wars book that I would really recommend to people, but I read it. Yeah. If you weren't such a completionist, you probably wouldn't have read this one. Yeah, probably not. Um You'd have bounced off of it pretty hard. Uh no, no. It's not bad. It's just not good. It's very ah, okay. it's extremely mediocre. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> all right. Like it's yeah, a, I do. it's a book. You can read it, sure. But it but, <laughs> <laughs> kind of like I feel about Mighty Number no. Nine. Yeah, it's a game. You can play it. 
Yep. Oh, okay, so another game I, I played this week, and I played a few hours of it. I didn't bounce off it super fast, but in the end, it wasn't quite for me. It's called The Sexy Brutale, or Brutal. I, I don't know exactly brutale? how the last word is supposed to be pronounced. There's an E I think on it's the Brutale. End. Maybe. Um, and it's basically like you're in a casino hotel, but it's like a murder mystery but it's also kind of mixed in with like time travel. So you can repeat the same part of the same day over and over again. And you mm. slowly piece together what's going on. And then you have to save one person at a time. So it kind of has some of the like Groundhog's Day stuff going on. It kind of has vibes of Majora's Mask because you, as you save people, you acquire their masks, which give you more powers. Um, and then it also has the clock that resets if you fail or if you don't fail, like you can just push it back to the beginning anyway. It's kind of a mystery. It's kind of a puzzle. It kind of gives me some of the vibes of like an older style adventure game with like exploration and trial and error. That's what I was thinking of an old point and click adventure game. Yeah. I don't even know what it looks like, but that's what I was thinking. It has some of those vibes to it. And it, it's really interesting, but it was a little bit too much waiting around for me. Like after I figure out a lot of the clues in an area, but then I'm just missing a couple key pieces of the puzzle to have to repeat the same hours over and over. And honestly, they go really quick. It's probably just me being impatient. But eventually I got to like, <laughs> I want to say I got to like the fourth murder that you have to solve and then save the person and i, I was just like uh i, I think i'm kind of done with this game that's fair i mean you gave it a real shot and and those kind of games they they can get plotting yeah that if it is like an old point and click adventure game it can get very tedious but i could see like if you're interested in all those other things i just mentioned about the game there might be something here for you so don't write it off completely i also speaking of giving things a shot i gave stranger things another shot because everybody's talking about how excited they are for stranger things season two i so proud of you for trying again i still don't like it i mean i know i'm so disappointed in you for not liking it again uh, the first time i watched it i literally watched the cold open and then when it got to the title screen i gave up because i was bored of it and right this time i watched four episodes so like i have given it a true shot now and it's just boring. I, it's just, it's so predictable and everything moves so slow. And like it goes to a new scene and within five seconds, I know everything that's going to happen in that scene because it's so obvious. And then it takes five or 10 minutes to get to the end of that scene. It's excruciating. It's, Not to mention see, and it's, that like uh, I was trying to check it out with my wife and she hates jump scares and there's just enough jump scares in this to always have her on edge. So, uh, like, we just, I don't know. We, we couldn't get into it. I, I really tried, but I, I was so bored with this show. <laughs> I understand. And I'm glad that you gave it a real shot to see what it was about. And I totally understand you not liking it the way that you are, because I'm I'm cool with the plotting. I'm cool with that that level of of movement across the narrative, because it's not about what's going on. It's how it's going on. And it's how everything plays out and the character interactions. And I really, really like those characters. And the story is is great, but it, that's not what I care about. It's being emotionally invested in Eleven and a bunch of the other characters. Yeah, and I just felt no emotional... I I didn't care. Like, whatever. They all could have died. I would have been like, okay, good. They can get to an interesting plot They now. were kids, Void. Whatever. It's They're kids. It's TV. Is- they can all just get... <laughs> it's a horror show, and it's TV. <laughs> they can all get murdered by the evil, faceless thing. It doesn't matter. And then they can it's move the on. It's the Demogorgon. 
that's yeah okay sure sure um (laughs) okay a couple other things from the week uh it came out that shadow of war is gonna have single player loot boxes that you can buy with real world money and i think it's really dumb i think it's really dumb i i know we've talked in the past about every game turning into games as a service just kind of like software as a service but when it starts encroaching this much into a single player game, I start to have some issues with it. Did you hear about it at all? No, I haven't heard about this at all. Think over, How did I miss like, this? Think Overwatch style loot boxes, but instead of just cosmetic stuff, it actually has gameplay affecting things. But then take that and put it into a single player game that you've already paid full price for. That's garbage yeah um i'm still gonna play the game i'm still looking forward to the game but i am not gonna put any money into that and i think that it is a horrible practice and i hope we don't see it more which is why i needed to bring it up wow i didn't oh my i'm cool with loot boxes when they're purely cosmetic that i'm well as cool as a person can be that as long as you can earn them in game i'm great with it because the old republic has a garbage system where you have to pay for them that you don't get a way to earn them in game that if you want any of the uh the the lottery boxes you just have to purchase them off the store that the only way to get them other than by going and specifically buying them and buying credits is to get your monthly allocation of credits for being a subscriber which also takes real world money so i'm cool with overwatches because i level up i get a box i do the arcade stuff i can get a box it's all great but in a single player game like that that i've already paid for that is that is super dumb that that, yeah, that that's weird that's real dumb that i don't yeah. under, i don't even understand the mindset behind this one i mean okay i understand the mindset behind it it's money but i don't even understand how who thought that would be a good idea let's put let's make people pay for items in a single player game to win the single player game better i mean that's what mod consoles are for. Well, and I mean, it's this games as a service that everyone is trying to go towards and monetize. I mean, it's affecting Final Fantasy too. Like Final Fantasy 15 right now, I don't. Who knows if they've even started on 16? They're too busy supporting 15 and adding yeah. in lots of like these single player story elements, which I I feel kind of ripped off that like the whole story wasn't in there, even though it's side stories with other characters. I mean, for such a story-heavy game, it feels like it should be content-complete. And then now, in the last week, they announced that, well, the multiplayer beta went live, and I didn't even realize that, like, it was going to be this full fleshed-out mode that's a piece of DLC. And I, I looked at a little bit of it, and the Final Fantasy XV, like, multiplayer, it's not that it looks bad, it's that I kind of wish this were a spinoff. Like, I feel like if this were a spinoff for the same price that they are asking it to be DLC, I probably would buy it. But the fact that it's DLC on a single player game that I've already beaten twice makes me not even want to try it, which is weird. It's probably just a hang up that I have because it's like it's the same content, right? Uh I don't know that one with it being a completely different game mode. I understand. I'm, I'm more cool with that, that whenever there's a separate game mode that's optional to buy, I'm okay with that being a DLC. It's instead of a full on new game that's separate. I mean, for me, if I already own it, that doesn't matter. It's the new story that keeps added in the kind of episodic stories that are added that that more irritate me. Yeah. 
yeah, I can I, I can see both sides of it. Um, because, like, I think it was Rumble in the Clouds or Clash in the Clouds or something like that for Bioshock Infinite, where it was just a different kind of game mode that they did as DLC. Wasn't my kind of thing, but it's like, yeah, cool, there's this new thing. That's not the one I'm wanting to play. I want the, the new adventures that they're releasing that are almost like the mini expansions. Yeah, that's understandable. Um, the last thing I did this week was Splatoon 2, the Splatfest. So they had, like, their first real Splatfest since the game went live and because of that my kids and i played it a ton on i think it was saturday whatever day the Splatfest was it's it's only for like 24 hours or 48 hours something like that um and we just played a ton of it and it's kind of amazing how much we're playing splatoon versus how much we played arms like splatoon is a daily thing in my house Hmm. and arms never was quite that and we were barely barely even thinking about arms anymore it's like all splatoon all the time so I'm still really liking Splatoon 2 a lot, which is good. And I don't understand the appeal of Splatoon. I played it on the Wii U for a while, but I don't. It's fine. I don't. But I'm not a first person shooter guy either. I mean, that's part of what it is for you that it's a shooter. And I know that the core game interests you more than it does me. But I just don't understand the almost fanaticism that comes with people loving Splatoon. I just I just don't think I get this one. Kind of like Smash Brothers. I don't like Smash Brothers either. I don't understand any reason why people like it, that I've yeah. never had fun in Smash Brothers. If you can't see anything redeeming about Splatoon, I probably can't sell it to you. There's a lot of reasons yeah. I like it, but you don't I think it's a fun game. I, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not that saying it's a bad game that I've played it. I'm like, yep, I've played that now. I'm glad that I played it. And I'm like, okay, cool. I'm gonna move on to something else. And I don't, I just don't see the constantly going back because it, even the cosmetic stuff on this one doesn't interest me. Yeah, and I mean, I I have that with other multiplayer games too. So like, I this is just one that happened to click with me yeah. more than other ones. Which hey, I'm glad that, that it did. Yeah, cool. That's probably it for this week. Uh, you guys can write to us with comments, suggestions, or feedback. Our email address is geek2geekcast at gmail.com or reach us on Twitter at geek2geekcast. We also have longer discussion threads on the subreddit at reddit.com slash r slash geek2geekcast. And remember, folks, we're part of a podcast network, so if you're not listening to all of our podcasts, you need to head on over to geek2geekcast.com and see if we have anything that tickles your fancy. I blog at agreenmushroom.com, and you can find me at GRN Mushroom. That's Green Mushroom without the E's on Twitter. And I'm on Twitter as at Professor Beege. That's Beege with two E's. And you can find me online at bjkeaton.com. We've been Void and Beege with your Geek to Geek podcast. That'll do it for this week. See you next week, geeks. Comics. Hey everyone, this is Rob, your friendly neighborhood comic geek. And this is Liam, the the languishing, lascivious Liam of Langley. Wow, that was extremely illiterate of you. Well, I try. We are the hosts of The Comic Box, part of the geek to geek podcast network. So, join us. Bop, bop. Oh, yeah.